0: Welcome, 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 everyone. We are back uh, in the saddle. New episodes, fresh, amazing, and new faces because we are taking this from the audio only to video as well. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, everybody who's listening, if you can hear me, join me in a warm round of applause for Steve Hopper. How you doing, man? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, yeah. The south of London, huh?
1: Yeah, so I, I live on the south coast of England, but my partner lives in South London, and I'm currently in Brixton Hill, looking okay. out over the sun setting over the rooftops and chimneys of Brixton of South London.
0: What's the weather like now?
1: Uh grey and uh, very unstable. <laughs> uh, yeah, the south of Europe's getting all the good weather. I say good to be honest. I don't really fancy forty Celsius, so I'm I'm quite happy with a bit of wet and soggy weather right now to be honest rather than that
0: so oh man no I loved every bit of the sun when I was there recently I I just I loved it I hated the rain and the gray skies I didn't want no parts of that yeah no I I feel you too funny well before we get into you know all of that that I was talking about our time in London and things like that I want you to take a minute and kind of introduce yourself to the community uh let them know a little bit about you they're gonna fall in love with you it's just what we do here you know uh, but yeah let them let them know a little bit about yourself
1: okay so i'm a transformational coach i've been coaching for 10 years or so uh and it's been my main thing for four or four, five years now i'm also an artist um actually, from a technical background originally in government technical security, communications, technical security, and technical counter espionage. and then I uh, ended up freelancing as a sound engineer in the music business, traveling all over the world, mixing sound for various artists, including Van Morrison and uh, and various other people you won't probably have heard of. but uh, and I've been a freelance photographer, filmmaker, graphic designer, brand consultant. And uh, various other things, uh, but now I, uh, I focus on the coaching, and I exhibit my own work as a photographer with uh, some write- writing, and occasionally, as the wind takes me, a bit of poetry as well. Um, but I have I, I I did an exhibition last year, and uh, which I love putting on, love creating, and. Uh, finding the connections between my work as a photographer and writer and the conversations I'm in every day with people as a coach.
0: yeah, I, I could see how that makes you interesting as hell. Like if you just think about all the different things that you've done and to be able to bring that through in your coaching or in photography has gotta be gotta be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, people use the term portfolio career. And I was doing that before anyone came up with the term. So I had a proper job, as I call it, like one of those ones where you show up and get paid every month uh, until I was 30. So for the first 12 years of my life, I worked for the British government. And then after that, it's been freelance ever since. And um, following trails of opportunity and possibility and occasionally driven by financial desperation or uh, survival, (laughs) I've done so many different things. Um, And, uh, oh, I I think I missed out that I was in a startup business, uh, which was an interesting fusion of motorsport, computer gaming, and brand communication. But that kind of died in 2009 with the financial crisis. So everything just stopped with that and I lost my shirt.
0: So I've been through through the the startup business mill as well. Oh, man. So you... There is a fabric and a through line, though, to all of those. Yeah. What I love is, I've been talking about this a lot lately with, with failure yeah. not existing and failure yeah. just being a reference point that says go to something new, try something fresh. You know, at some point, doing so many things, it sounds like you just found a repetition to work through it and keep on moving to something else. Yeah,
1: there has been a common thread, which is. Uh, Being from a technical background, but also being an artist, a musician and very visual, most of the work that I've done has been in the fusion of um, the creative backed by technical skills. So I've been a lot of people's technical and production support. I've done a lot of work helping other artists and other creatives, including mixing sound for shows, you know, um, um, where you are in service of other people's art and performance. Um, so it was really actually when doing the show of my own last year, like putting on my own photography show was a real step. Like it was actually really huge for me personally. It wasn't a huge show, but personally, it was a really big thing to actually use all of my skills and talents to bring into being something that I created myself. Yeah. And that was, yeah. you know, that was, that was, that was great. But the through line is definitely definitely the weaving together of technical and creative um, stuff. And then 15 years ago, I had a major meltdown. I had a full-on grade A personal meltdown of my mental health and uh, brought on through all sorts of things, but a lot of stress. Uh, And um, that's when, after recovering from that, I discovered transformational work, holistic transformational work, and okay. uh that so since then the movement has been progressively bringing my love for people and the com and this conversation, the transformational conversation to people.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could feel that uh, about you and, and you're a yogi as well, correct? A uh, kind of yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm about as I'm about as flexible as a pile of cinder blocks strung together with steel cables. <laughs> um So, but in a particular essence, kind, of, a essence, particular kind of unbending yoga. But at, at heart, I'm a yogi. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. At heart,
0: the essence. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. But you spoke about you spoke about that that meltdown. You mind kind of yeah. You mind kind of digging at it a little bit for absolutely
1: time? yeah. Please. Yeah, so
0: yeah. so my I say my darkest times were the best thing ever happened to me because they laid a path in front of me. Yes, it was hard, but I got to a point to really experience true healing of my heart and my mind um so there is no comparison now it is a known thing of walking out of darkness into light for me during my hard times what what did those times feel like for you
1: at the time they were hell (laughs) yeah
0: i agree um
1: so i came from a you know a, a very religious background my father was a baptist pastor lovely, really good people, you know, very kind, beautiful people, but living in a very small bubble. And, um, and I, I, I kind of left the Christian faith in my, in my 20s. And one of the things I realized is that hell on earth is created in here internally. You know, like when you've really been through a personal hell of a mind that has become unchained. Like I described it once as being like a a passenger on the mind plane and it's flying somewhere not good. Like that was the experience of of like a mind that is so um, distressed by what it's creating, as I would now see it. it. It was so distressed by itself, so divided against itself that that was a living hell and, and that people talk about hell like something after life you know i've got no idea about that that's a way above my pay grade heaven or hell <laughs> um but but uh i've been in a living hell not a dead one
0: yeah.
1: and it was not good and uh and i was very good at keeping it to myself uh, which was part of the thing you know one of the things I love there's a lot of really screwed up things going on in our world but one of the things that is really good that's going on in our world is the breaking open of all of the taboos around mental health and well-being particularly for guys yeah I agree because we are so it is so dangerous as a young man to show strong feeling and show emotion in our in in our culture and and to show weakness and to show vulnerability you know, other kids, when you're a teenager, they smell vulnerability like sharks smelling blood. Yeah. And uh, it's just too dangerous. And th- the fact that that is now breaking open and changing is a, is a great thing. You know, that um, it's everywhere you go, you hear about men who are discovering that it's actually okay to talk about what's going on for them. But I I really wasn't okay with it. And that's part of why I went down so badly.
0: Oh, totally understand that. And I wasn't okay with talking about it as well. So first time we met was 3P UK Conference. Last summer. Okay, last summer, yeah. So from from that spot, what kind of happened that got us to the same conference at the same time?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I. you mean since then?
0: Uh, no, just what? Yeah, what was happening that got you to the conference?
1: Okay, right. So, uh, so I just I first came across transformational work about twelve or thirteen years ago at a place in London uh, called the Concord Institute, which is a educational foundation that's been running since the nineteen seventies. And when it originally started up. It was like where macrobiotics and whole foods came to London from Boston and Japan and San Francisco, and the people that set it up were people who had discovered whole foods and macrobiotic uh, well-being and, and energy work in America, and they came to London and they set up a centre. And then in the '90s, a new director came, and he brought he he'd worked in the early days of S uh, and the forum with Werner Erhardt. and so. They uh, it became like a holistic transformational education foundation and mixing together whole foods, macrobiotics, a culinary school, energy work, yoga, breath work, but also transformational dialogue-type programs, starting with like an open access weekend, but then some in-depth, so like a, a curriculum of different sort of in-depth programs that you came and you participated in. But then uh, I... One of the three-month courses, that you get a, a coach who works with you, who's a volunteer. And so I, I thought I, you know, I'd like to do that, give back something back to the organisation. So I trained as a volunteer coach, and I found my thing. I thought this is, a, I've just met the future. I've just met my future.
0: <laughs> so, I love that.
1: And and yeah, so I I I just found that I loved it, and and it was a natural. I was just a very natural at it. So I did. I trained and worked a good deal there on a voluntary basis, coaching and then did some other professional training as a, you know. And so um, about six, five years ago, five years ago, I was listening to uh, an audio book of uh, Steve Chandler and he mentioned Michael Neal. And I've not heard of Michael Neal. And he mentioned Michael Neal's talk on um, FedEx, the Why Aren't We Awesomer? And and so I went and listened to that and watched that. And I just loved it. I loved how there wasn't anything brand new in what Michael was saying, but the way he said it and the way he communicated it was just the clearest, sh- briefest exposition of how our reality is created internally. Uh, and so I discovered Michael's work. So I've a number of programs with Michael and then um, discovered and George Pransky and, uh, and I did the insight principles training course with Ken Manning and Robin Charbit three years ago and so that's how I came across the principles and Sid Banks and that world and that's how I ended up at 3P UK last summer and that's when we met.
0: What I love so much about that journey is the yeah. many different ways mind was at play? Yeah, like the 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 universal intelligence behind life was yeah. at play, orchestrating a series of events of unraveling for you, removing yes. every veil to ultimately being able to see your innate health and well being. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. and I,
1: I think what, what what I what I loved when I discovered Michael's work. I actually said this to him one time in, in one of our seminars, uh, in uh, webinars. Like, you know when you go to the ophthalmologist, I think you call them in, say so you need to get your eyes tested and measured. And they stick I that need big to do rig. now?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that, they put that big rig on your head and you look like Joe 90 with all these kind of machines and stuff over you. And they click in different lenses and, yeah. and try them out and say, so and you're reading off the chart and you can never see the bottom line of the chart. And then suddenly to clink, And it's like, oh my God that's what it's supposed to look like
0: yeah
1: <laughs> it's like this crystal sharp clarity and there's something about the principles and what Sid Banks saw and how he communicated it uh, and particularly how Michael communicated it uh, c- uh, when I first heard him which just like oh my god there's it's just a whole different it was like putting glasses on when you really need glasses. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't that you couldn't see, but suddenly it was like chishing like really sharp and clear and defined and um, beautiful.
0: And yeah. what a relief as well. Yeah, um, big homie is good at that, man. He, um, I, I, yeah. I love watching him teach. I love watching him do his thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I learned so much from him, you know? I, yes,
1: absolutely. And he, watching Michael work with other people There's such a permission in how he works to lean back. What I call in branding, we used to talk about lean in. There are some things you do that are lean in because you bring your energy forward and you're focusing and you're kind of. And there are some things that it's way better to lean out and lean back. Mm. Michael has such a beautiful, he models lean back. In the sense of like so for instance the 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 intensive he did with you over that three days the videos of that you guys are sat there in big armchairs you may as well have had a glass of whiskey i don't think you did but (laughs) it was so damn chill it was so chilled and i've and I, I, i i there was such a permission in that and such it makes so much sense our radar works so much better and our listening is so much better when we lean back and relax and when we're in that floating orientation rather than swimming and paddling Do you know what I mean and Michael just personifies that he demonstrates that so beautifully in how he teaches and works with people and interacts with people but he is also a brilliant writer I mean his ability to use words in writing that just communicate so clearly remarkable And how beautiful is that? Because then you bring something that's uniquely, the light comes through the, the, as somebody once said, the stained glass window that you are like, no, the light has never come through quite the same way it will come through someone else. You know, when you really are operating in the full range of your abilities. And you know what's so important? For me, there's a humour and the lightness of touch. I first heard and learned from this from Alan Watts. Uh, He said something in one of his books. No, it was was in a talk on meditation. And he said, I have a lot of trouble communicating this when I talk about spirituality, because everyone seems to think we're supposed to be so serious. And you've got to know that I'm not a serious man. In fact, I don't actually think the universe is serious. This is Alan Watts. Because after all, if you think it's serious, it must be because you think it really matters and if it really matters it like it's really important your whole it's like um you're holding it all with a weight. i can't remember his exact words but it it's we, we give things a weight and an importance that means we're missing the point somewhere or other yeah yeah and that somebody like alan watts with all his amazing insight and again a, a brilliant brilliant writer but he say, i don't actually think the universe is serious you know is it serious he regarded that question as one of the the most profound philosophical questions is it serious is life serious and his conclusion was it's not and you could see he had a little twinkle in his eye like a zen master
0: yeah
1: he didn't actually quite give a shit yeah but at the same time he was so sincere and so committed and he laid the foundations. Alan Watt's work laid the foundations for so much work that
0: we take oh, for granted yeah. now. I listened to a bunch of uh his old recordings, and I do remember that presence he used to have, you know yes. with, when he when he when he spoke and, and the things that he talked about and yes. you're right when um, Don Miguel Ruiz wrote a book called the uh Five Levels of Attachment." I think it was junior, right. actually, I think it was his son. He narrated right okay audible right but he was talking about the attachment we put on sports team as an analogy yeah he said so say me and you go to a soccer game or a football as you call it right we go to a football game and i'm just going for my first time you just want me to see soccer right yeah we just go to the stadium and see whoever's playing for me to take that's all we got you know and at no time. There is no preference. You just want to see me fall in love with soccer. We watch the game yeah. in a way. Yeah, but then yeah. the moment you take me to your favorite team, soccer game, that experience becomes different because you're narrating to me the game of soccer through your preference for that team. Your team right. is doing gotcha. it good. Yeah. That yeah. team is doing it bad. The refs, you know, don't like your team. So I learned yeah. soccer through your attachment to your team. And if that attachment is light, great. But if it's more internalized, then when your team loses, you're having a bad day. When your team, nothing you control about your team playing now, but you have a bad day. The best days to get things from you, like money, time, and love, is when your team is winning, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Internalization. And then he says the last level of attachment is a fanatic. Somebody who is just so consumed that their entire life is about this team. Their identity
1: has got trans just totally entangled.
0: Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's the state of mind of everything. Mm. Whether it's your trauma narrative, whether it's your accomplishment narrative, whether it's your achievement narrative. Mm. All of it, all of it is the mm. level of attachment in which you have. That, as mm. we said earlier, is it meaningful, mm. uh, baby? Is it worth, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, You know, but yeah. all, all, our our love for you know the photography, all of that is yeah. is a narrative that that you know we have some level of attachment to because we can, yeah. we've had experiences with it, you know, feelings, yeah, so, that
1: lightness of touch, that sincerity without seriousness
0: yeah
1: like by seriousness i mean hanging weights all over it
0: yeah
1: um michael uh, last year for creating the impossible at the beginning of 2022 he did a bolt-on for cti called making money fun he nailed <laughs> yeah. it in in his opening video he nailed it saying i was thinking about this and i should have called it not making money not fun in other words we make it so unfun we make it so not fun if we could just stop making money not fun
0: yeah
1: we wouldn't really have to work very hard at making it fun but it's the fact that we make it and and I love that because we make everything so heavy and intense and weighty and then we wonder how can we lighten this up And it's a bit like I used to uh, uh, another thing on my CV, I used to crew for a commercial ballooning company and um, uh, just in in my spare time for free flights. But, you know, ballooning is an amazing thing, but it's a lot easier flying a hot air balloon if you're not hanging loads of half ton weights off the bottom of the damn thing. You know, like it's lift is a lot more of a natural thing. And, And we make everything so heavy and so intense. Having come from a very Victorian kind of religious background, and um, and from also some of the transformational work I've done, is pretty pretty you know intense, like not a bunch of fun. And I actually, yeah, I, I try now and keep things really as light as I yeah. as I can.
0: That's Did why this say? podcast is a light-hearted approach. That's talking it. of
1: light. I'm going to turn some lights on because evening okay. is drawing in here. One second. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've been uh, relegated to a teenager's bedroom in the attic in this house. It's the only quiet place to have a conversation with you. So it's uh...
0: no. I was just saying <laughs> that. Uh, that's the that's why we are a lighthearted approach. You know, it's yes. kind of like kids. Kids mm-hmm. are our example, because yeah. we learn to be serious. Yes, you know, we learn the behaviors of it matters. We learn to believe yes. it matters and things like that. Yes. And it's so funny you say that because um the children just be. Yes, like, with little pretense. You know, with little pretense, yeah. and there is a way to exist as a as an adult human being, being with little pretense as well. And yes, so that, yeah, that's a that's the beauty. Mm um mm.
1: okay. can we do a double backflip into something that you mentioned a few minutes ago which is about the the way the sort of fortuitous interweaving of how things happen that lead people to certain places like you know like for instance how we ended up meeting at 3p uk mm-hmm. one of the i think about this is a lot because this is how i tend to meet clients is through fortuitous Happy accident, where? So let me go back just a moment. So we look back at the path that our course has taken. You know, the the path we've taken. We use phrases like, "Oh, my path to here was basically I did this and I did that and I went there and then did that, did that, did that." And we look back and we retrospectively superimpose a narrative on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we make it, we make it mean we make it mean, you know, like like that's what I did. And that's how I ended up here. And then we look forward into the future, which doesn't exist, but we make a map of how it should, how we think best we our best guess at how it should. So we try and engineer forward on a premise, on a false premise that we actually engineered what's happened. But the vast, if you look at what you act what brought you where you to where you are, most of it was decisions you made based on something something that happened, really a sequence of happy accidents and things that could not have been predicted in advance. Yeah. People you met, just even like where you were born, who you were born to, your parents, what they were like, where they lived, what was going on economically, socially, culturally, where you grew up, your early education that you had no choices in—all of those things that have massive influence in how our life shapes up. You and you think you you did that, you know, like you 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 met like that was a managed process. You gotta be kidding! It was it was just barely contained chaos for most of us. And also, when we were listening, or when a window opened up and a possibility opened up and we had the courage to jump out of it blind, some of the most interesting things happened or where we really screwed up and something, you know, some really not so great things happened. But it it, it was not planned. It was not engineered. But we superimpose a narrative on it like it means something. Yeah. And then we think that's what we've got to do going forward. And life, there's just too many variables in the universe for that. Oh, yeah. No, you know, I... you cannot engineer your way forward into the unknown emerging future. That doesn't mean there are things that can't be engineered and crafted, but it's an emergent process, which means that, uh, like an engineered process, before you set out, 95% of the variables are ironed out before yeah. you even start out from an engineered process. But you know, from your your military background, you think it might be that, but actually it turned out that you knew less than 5% of what was going to happen.
0: Exactly. It's, again, it's the same thing as I said earlier with that learned behavior, how it really works is just that it comes yeah. to us. You know, we yeah. may think, you know, we may think it was, or we attribute it to something else. Yeah. But the truth is, it's that unknowing because that's pushed the brink of learning. That was the beginning of something new. That was, you know. Yes. um, If you didn't fall on trying to walk, you wouldn't have understood the process. You know, it's it's like. um, Yeah. The reason emerging through, as you said earlier, is so much more powerful, I believe, is because it's just what, i've experienced it's just the truth mm. of my experience it's not saying anyone has to have the same it's it's understanding the creative power of thought that i get to be aware of how i want to use my power my gift you know yeah. um and mm. i choose to identify with these things i'm a lakers fan yeah doesn't mm. mean to think about me doesn't say anything doesn't tell you a yeah. human being or not it's just a small, simple preference of teams when I watch a sport I like. I'm okay with it, yeah. you know, and things like yeah. that. So, mm. now,
1: I'm there gonna, was a go ahead. Th- there was a British co- poet called Keats uh, from the sort of 18th century, and uh, I don't know much about uh, poets of his generation or their poetry, but I came across the quote. This quote from a letter that he wrote to a friend, where he was talking about why he thought Shakespeare was such a genius, what he was such a brilliant writer. And he said he's got lots of what I call um, negative capability, which is the ability to be in uncertainty, mystery, and doubt, I'm quoting word for word, without the irritable reaching for fact and reason, mm. Space now you people. think about that. The ability to be in uncertainty, I i don't know. Mystery, I, I can't see. Doubt, which is all of the natural human responses to uncertainty and mystery. The ability to be with all of those, he called that negative capacity or negative capability, I think was his word, for it, phrase for it without the without resisting the temptation for the irritable reaching for fact and reason because we think fact and reason psychologically we we think fact and reason makes us feel safe yeah yeah and so our more rational logical faculty wants to hold on just don't give me all that intuitive nonsense give me some facts give me numbers <laughs> give me give me facts give me and it's like well good luck in an organic world where everything is so in flux, so in movement.
0: Yeah.
1: And the ability to stand on the prow of the boat as the unknown future emerges towards us and yeah. to actually not just be okay, but really delight in uncertainty, in not knowing, in mystery, in not being able to see. And to have a the capacity to... Hold a space for all of the natural misgivings and doubts and fears and concerns and insecurities that come with the experience of not seeing and not knowing. I agree. What a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. We think not knowing means that what we will face, we're going to be ill prepared for. Yes. That's the big fear. But by virtue of definition, love that. You know, by virtue of definition of unknown, we can't really be afraid of it. So what we are afraid of is what we think the unknown means. I yeah. won't be prepared for this moment. I will be void of resources. I won't be able yeah. to think of it right on my feet. I need time yeah. to prep. All of the learned behaviors that we went through that have protected us. I won't I won't knock them. At some point, they protected us. That's how they became part of the system, the defense system. But it's yeah. realizing they're a system. You know, they're, it's yeah. realizing they're conditioning because there's a space you have access to that, just like you said, is free of judgment. You could, you could really just be. You know, yes, it's, it's the zone. It's, it's how you're snapping pictures, and you know when you snap it, that's the picture.
1: You know, yeah. you don't even yeah. have the money. The money shot. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. money that's shot. It. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah.
0: that's the same thing. You know, it's just different language, but everybody kind of knows it when they feel it. You know. Yes. But man, I I really 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 appreciate you stopping by uh, and just blessing us with with all the many different jobs you've had over the time. <laughs> but I want to I want to uh, put you on the spot one last time and and, yeah. and two things I would like from you. One is telling everybody what you have on offer so they could find you. Like I said, you've been yeah. a coach for over a decade. Um, I've seen you in the Genius Catalyst program. You know, um, yeah. so you know, tell them what you have on offer there. Okay but then leave us with some words of wisdom that kind of pulls in all the various things you've done throughout your life. Yeah. And, and leave sure. us on a, on a note of inspiration.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, I have a website, a coaching website. People can uh, read a bit about me and uh, that's Stephen with a PH, Stephenhopper.org, org Um uh, So, uh, and we'll, we'll post that up with this recording presumably will we uh, and so uh, and you people can contact me through there read a bit about the work that I do as a coach i also have an online version of my photography exhibition from last year which is called lo and behold and the website for that is low l o hyphen and hyphen behold dot online which is a bit of a, a mouthful as well but uh, so we'll post that up and Uh, The exhibition was at multiple levels. On one level, it's an exhibition of photography from where I live, mainly from where I live on the coast of sea and sky and light and colour. And it's what I call, it's not storytelling photography. It's um, very textured and I have a, um, I'm fascinated by, I, I have the privilege of living on the, coast of the english channel and facing south and in the winter when the sun is low and travels a low arc it rises straight out of the sea and it sets into the sea and in the meantime the the, you can have a hundred different scenery changes in every hour and sometimes it's it's so dynamic and so it's mainly the exhibition is photographed uh of that but at the next level down there is a narrative in the exhibition which is that we don't see what's there we see what we already know is there krishnamurti he said the day you teach the child the name of a bird the child will never see the bird again what he meant by that is once we know what something's called we think we know what it is We're no longer in relationship with the entity or the creature or the person or the environment, the landscape directly. We're in relationship with our knowledge of it. We're in an indirect relationship. We've gone into our heads. And so we don't see the actual creature. We don't see the landscape. We don't see the sun and the sea or the cloud. We see what we already know is there. And part of what I wanted to do with the exhibition was use photography, almost like a meditation for people to see, to see past what it is that they think they're looking at and just see the incredible textures and colours and uh, the visual poetry of what happens in nature when we freeze it with a still photograph. Um, it, still photography is my thing, not film. Uh, but that was my aim there was to capture the visual poetry and to use that uh, to to help people see behind the imagery and into a deeper transformational conversation. And then at another level, there was some poetry there that I'd written and a few quotes from various people, including Alan Watts and and others talking about um, the unseeable, unsayable Behind everything, behind the forms. and that behind our love of the forms, there is an, un, an almost an unsayable love that finds its way out, steeps out through us and expresses itself through us in all kinds of ways. And that I that for me, the imagery speaks of that. Uh, it, it's very hard to put into words, but that was, uh, th- that was a pretty ambitious aim for the show, was to say the unsayable in pictures and in words, with some of my own experience in life woven in there as well. So in the photography exhibition online, there's an online version of that with, some of the, uh, with the, all the photographs, but also some of the poetry and the writing that went with it.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about the podcast, please go to 3PGC.org. If you're looking for more information about how to become a practitioner or you want to be featured on the show as a new, fresh voice in the principles, send us an email at info at 3PGC.org. We'd love to hear from you. Knowing there is no end or limitation, nor are there boundaries to the human mind. Have the day you deserve.